everyone, and welcome to Comics and Cinema, the podcast about exactly that. I'm your host, Alex Klein, and before we get started, I wanted to share something with you that has been around for a while, but I just decided to join it, which is Comixology Unlimited, and if this sounds like an ad... It is and it isn't because I am not being paid for this, but I wanted to give you guys the lowdown because I had uh, been trying to decide whether or not I should do it, and after reading a little bit more into it and seeing all the benefits that it had, I decided to finally join in. Um, It's $5.99 a month, and it's the exact same as Marvel Unlimited, only it covers a ton more publishers like IDW, which has uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Godzilla... Uh, some of my favorites in Godzilla, uh, Image Comics, uh, DC Comics, and Marvel, and more. But the even cooler thing is not only does it have single issues that you can read for free, um, it also has trade stories. So, like, you could read the, I think, the first four um uh, East of West series by Jonathan Hickman. The first four trades are available for free. And actually, I can tell you right now because I've got, I've got the app. And... Um, so this is my, and I, I, I typed all this out, but my library has increased dramatically, and because of this, I am going to be incorporating more stories into the monthly comic book episodes. So it won't just be Marvel every single month, uh, but Comixology has the exact same app and inter- user interface that the Marvel app does, uh, not the Marvel Unlimited app, but just the regular Marvel app. So that actually made it really easy for me to transfer all of the comics that I purchased from Marvel over, uh, which is also something that you can do. You link your account and automatically all of the books that you've purchased are there you can also do the same with dc i had a couple of um surprisingly a couple of digital comics from dc and those ones transferred over too and it's nice you know i'm sure not a lot of us are fans of amazon i think uh, i look at them more of as a uh, a necessary evil Uh, but i certainly utilize amazon quite a bit and this is a company comiXology is owned by amazon so it was really easy to sign up i actually just used my amazon account to link the two which made it you know, in seconds, I don't even think I had to create a new password. But um, in terms of series that I've got here now that I've grabbed, uh, just from uh, and again, you can you basically click on them and then they're yours until you decide to either stop using the uh, the features or I guess you know you delete them from your phone. But just as an example, the ones that I pulled, I've got a couple different Godzilla books. All of the volumes of Samurai Jack are on there. Sabrina the Teenage Witch, The Shadow. Uh, Letter 44, Saga, Paper Girls, uh, I've got Batman Hush and Alan Moore Swamp Thing, the first three Manhattan Projects by uh, um, Jonathan Hickman, House of M, World War Hulk, and uh, yes, four volumes of East of West, along with Jonathan Hickman's Pax Romana, and then, um, oh, and then I also got Karen Gillan's uh, Three, which was a story, uh, a gladiator story that I had uh I read a long time ago, and again, it's like, hey, I want to reread it, and now I can do it whenever I want for free uh, for $5.99 a month. But on top of all of that, you get extra discounts on the comics you purchase, which is the exact same thing that Marvel Unlimited does. The only difference is with Marvel Unlimited, you have to pay $100 a year versus $69. With Comixology, it's included, and it's up to 15% off. So when those sales come along, and I, you, you typically see them in the Marvel app, like, okay, you know, right now there's a sale on, I think there was a sale on Ultimate Comics, there's a sale on Runaway Series right now, too. Uh, all of those same sales are on Comics. 
Comixology. The only difference is if you do them through Comixology, you get an extra 15% off. And it's not just Marvel. You get DC, Image, all of those comics that I listed as well. I'm starting to wish that uh, I was getting paid for this because uh, I think I'm doing a pretty good job uh, hyping this up. It, it really is a good deal. But... Um, I mean, for example, I got Matt Fraction's Hawkeye run, uh, all of it, which is, uh, I think, issues 1 through 22, which I was planning on buying as an omnibus book, uh, which I was kind of seeing. I, I had an option to get it for $50, which is pretty good. It's, it's list price is 100 and I I'd probably would have paid 100 too, just because I love that story. I got it for $5 on Comixology, and yeah, it's a digital version. It's not the, the physical copy, but I love the fact that I can keep all of them on my iPad and read them whenever I want when I'm on a plane in a car uh, in my eyes it's a worthy addition to any com for any comic book reader especially for that free content so again I hope this didn't feel like an ad and certainly kind of does being at the beginning of this podcast but I assure you I am not getting paid for this at all I wish I was but I'm not uh, just a call out especially for those of you who are wanting to follow along in the future when we start uh, reviewing issues and series that are not Marvel and so on to the show. This is our monthly comic book episode for July 2020, and this month we are reading Truth, Red, White, and Black by Robert Morales and Kyle Baker. It was released in Mar by Marvel in 2003, and for anyone from unfamiliar, this is the story of the Black Captain America. Uh, so spoilers will be following this for this 17-year-old story, which is wild to me. Uh, but the, the series follows a few different characters who all end up signing up to join the military, one of those being Isaiah Bradley, uh, and along with another another gentleman who was actually forced to enlist or go to jail, uh, he was uh, kind of listed and described as a communist, uh, which was interesting to see because all he really wanted was equality for black people, which is you know nothing wrong with that, but I guess at that time that labeled you as a communist. Uh, and then there was another person that it follows who was uh, Sergeant uh, Lucas, uh, Lucas Evans, who has a very interesting story that we're going to talk about a little bit later. But all of their paths confer converge at the army base uh, where they're put in the exact same group. And back then there were, it looks like there were platoons of white people, platoons of black people. And this, this particular base had quite a few units of black people, it appears. Um, but no less, you know, discriminated against than on any other any other thing. Um, so they had to deal with that. They had to deal with ridicule in multiple instances. There's a really bothersome piece where one of the soldiers is trying to go to the bathroom, and the the colored stall is a urinal that is literally outside in public. And um, the the exchange that he has with a couple of people who pick on him was interesting. But it just, I mean, the the whole crux of this story is really depressing. It's really sad to see that this sort of stuff happened. And I honestly applaud Morales for making this a story. I applaud Marvel for sharing this as a story because it needs to be told and because it's a part of history that uh, both Marvel's history um, fictionally and also a area of history where I don't think a lot of people have dove deep enough into what people of color had to deal with during that time, during the, you know, 30s and 40s sort of thing. Uh, certainly not me, and I, I, like I said, I have a lot to learn. But uh, what happens then, is, as the story progresses, is there's a few mysterious men who request uh, the, the commanding general of the base 
They say, we we're looking for some units of black soldiers for testing. And it turns out they're looking for tests for the super soldier serum, which is really interesting because at that time, uh, they're making it out to be, and I, I, I went back and looked a couple times and I can't really confirm, I'm pretty sure Isaiah Bradley is the first Captain America. He's definitely the first black Captain America, obviously, but whether he was before or after Steve Rogers, I think they kind of deal with it, and I'm sure someone who's much more versed in this story, this tale, than I am would, would tell you that it, it probably is, but there was a couple spots where I was like, well, well, maybe it was Steve Rogers, or they may have been at the exact same time. And I, I want to lean towards that it isn't because they obviously wanted to test it on a guinea pig first, and um, that's why, obviously, they chose these black platoons because at the time, again, you know, the military-industrial complex did not care who they were testing these people out on. But they advise that it's classified. The general's like, why do you need them? And he's like, it's classified. But eventually the main group of people are chosen along with a ton of other groups. There's a, there's a scene, and it's like in the third, I think it's the third issue. They're all lined up, just platoons of them. And so the general's like standing up on a, um, not necessarily a podium, but, but a, a large barrack thing. And he's kind of, you know, getting them all there. The two kind of businessmen are there with him. And all of a sudden this other general comes up and he goes, all right, I'm here to relieve you of your duty. And I believe his name is Colonel Walker Price. And he says, I'm here to relieve you of your duty. And the guy's like, what are you talking about? I'm not leaving. And he kills him. And it's like, oh, this is truly covert, something so classified that even the general of the base is expendable, which made it infinitely more interesting. But even then, um, the general orders a few random groups onto trucks, and the rest of them are killed. And you don't see it, but it was pretty shocking and tough to read because, um, you know, as the group is driving away in this truck, they hear the gunfire. And it was very reminiscent of when a lot of the Jewish people were rounded up in Germany, where, you know, they were put on trucks, taken away, and other people were just killed, gunned down in the streets. It felt a lot like that. So very interesting to see that duality where, uh, and, and they talk about it in the book quite a bit, and I'm going to try and touch on it. I'll quote some pieces in here if I can. But um, <clears throat> it was just really sad to see that America was a lot like Germany back in the day. They don't want to admit it, but they were, and uh, very scary to think about. So they're taken to a facility. The group is tested on. A few of them die right away. Some of them make it out, including Isaiah, um, but then eventually all of them die except for Isaiah. So he's the last one. He is the black Captain America. Um, he steals a costume of Steve Rogers and wears it on a suicide mission, essentially. And this is where I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull up this little bit. This is towards the end. This is kind of the recap page on, um, on issue number six, I believe. But uh, it says that, uh, so essentially in October of 1942, which again makes me think that it's before Steve Rogers, Isaiah Bradley was the sole Negro American survivor of the U.S. Army's super soldier program, wearing a freshly stolen Captain America costume meant for a delayed Steve Rogers, again makes me think that he was first, Isaiah embarked on a suicide mission to Schwarzenbitty, a uh, Nazi death camp. His objective was to wipe out Germany's version of the program that created him and killed his buddies. So uh, he assaults the camp under the cover of night. After taking enough explosives to facilitate his mission, he blows up the armory, and in the ensuing chaos, he's he proceeded to kill the Nazi doctor in charge, Ernst Koch. 
and obliterated his vast medical chamber of horrors. As Isaiah tries to escape, his mission's complete, but he stops to save a group of women sent to the gas chambers and fails, and the Germans capture him. And so this is where, to me, the story itself overall is fantastic. This is a story that needs to be read. It needs to be shared. But in my opinion, the action itself doesn't really pick up until this issue or maybe even the issue beforehand because there's a lot of lead up. There's a lot of explaining of what's going to happen. And again, all important stuff. But for somebody who's looking for maybe a little more action or looking for some suspense, that's when it it hits its peak is when he, he breaks into that camp and just wreck shop absolutely destroys everything except again it was really tough to see him try and save these women he had no idea that it was even a gas chamber and he doesn't die because he's a super soldier and so this next episode or issue deals with captain america uh going to he's investigating this stolen uh this stolen suit and it leads him to the lompoc federal prison in california where a uh, private Philip Merritt, who was in the U.S. Army, is now a prisoner here. He and we find out very quickly why he's a terrible person, uh, huge racist bigot, and also a comic book fan. So very interesting. This is back in 2003 that this person is essentially. We're seeing a lot of these people now. So this is the this is the kind of person I would say that right now is feeling very empowered in this country to to share. And it's just crazy how how uh, similar the things that he says are um you know perpetuated today but what i loved too about this and i I say it a little later as well is that captain america hates this guy like he hates him he says uh he he just lists off a laundry list of, of crimes hate crimes and um he's like you're a real piece of work and he's like well but i'm also your biggest fan and he um, he was he was there at the time when Dr. Reinstein was killed, who was one of the people involved in the super soldier program. And again, he's trying to figure all these things out and eventually finds out that this guy, this private who's now a really old man, um, has the suit and has it in like a Nazi memorabilia thing at his place. And he and this is when Captain America finds out about Isaiah Bradley and he's like, oh whoa but then it flashes back and this is one of my favorite parts of the entire series is isaiah is captured and he is dealing directly with hitler which is crazy and uh the way that hitler talks to him is is it's just the the writing here is insane so for hitler first thing he says to him i very much like the eagle that you have drawn on your shield and i was like what he's being nice to him and he's like, what? He says, yes, I'm an artist also. And then he says, lights. And then the lights turn on and they're in uh, Hitler's office or the office of the Gruppenführer in Berlin in October. And um, he brings in Joseph Goebbels as well, those of you familiar with World War II history. And um, he's like, ba- Isaiah's basically like, what do you want? And he says, uh, and this is again, I'm like, dang, like, Hitler is almost like Thanos in this story where you under you sort of understand where he's coming from but it's like he's he's an absolute piece of trash so you, you can't agree with him but he says he says we have no quarrel um, or he says hold up now what do you mean you're not fighting America and he says not America private Bradley your people 
And Hitler says, we have no quarrel with the, with the Negroes, you understand. I know something of your history, how brutally the Americans have treated you, enslaved you. And, and Goebel says, they are barbarians. He says, like your Scottsboro boys, I too have been unjustly convicted. And Goebel chimes in again, it is the way of the oppressor. And Hitler says, why do your people fight for them? Is it fear? Why do you fight when they deny you the glory of this other soldier? Private, we want to offer you the opportunity to help your people and yourself. And then Hitler says, if you stand with us, we will help free your people when the time comes. On my honor as a fellow artist. And I'm, again, I'm thinking, and this is where, uh, you know... not, and this has been an argument I think that a lot of people have over the years is people who say, well, you know, Hitler was a really good public speaker. And it's like, how dare you give him any compliments? But I learned about uh, I learned about that in my one of my capstone leadership classes, actually, in college was um, we had this really great book that was just snapshots of, of leadership. May have even said snapshots of great leadership, though. Again, they had a whole section of snapshots of bad leadership where the leader was so successful at what they did. But what they were working towards was terrible. So it had it had Hitler. It had um, I'm trying to think of some of the other people. I know Hitler was the big one that it was like, oh, I was really interested in reading it because, again, I love seeing how people tick. And the way that he is written in here sounds a lot like what I read, which is, again, he was a really good public speaker. He really had a way with words. And that is how he tricked everybody. It's the same as what's going on right now. It's all about propaganda. It's all about what people think and what people believe, not what actually is going on. And so by the end of this conversation, you're thinking, well, all right, Hitler is on the right side of history in this case, right? Like, the, you know, black people are just the same as everyone else. And then you remember, oh, that's right, it's Hitler. And that's when Isaiah looks at him, it's a blank panel, and then he says, guys, no, my wife would kill me. And that, to me, is the ultimate response. That is like pure Captain America response, right? Like, like uh, you know, I, what was it, I... Uh, I know a god too, ma'am, and he doesn't dress like that. And uh, just that that classic Captain America quip, and it's like that's the only thing that you know you could. I mean, there's so many other things that you could say, and Isaiah is obviously tied up. But if not, I imagine he would have punched Hitler in the face as well. But that scene is just is just chilling to think that, and that's all true. That's that's been documented that Hitler Hitler tried essentially to convince a lot of the African American soldiers who were fighting for the U.S that you know essentially your country hates you like you should fight against them and you see, you see it in uh in Watchmen as well there's a, there's one of the episodes in Watchmen the show uh talks about the propaganda that was like thrown out of airplanes for for the soldiers as they were fighting that talked about how much America hated the black people and it's cool though that's in this and and again another uh, tough piece of history that I think needs to be said and so from there, it goes back to uh, his converse, uh, Cap's conversation with this prisoner. And again, just just talking about how, and it's, it's crazy to me that he talks about, there's a spot here that I wanted to touch on that, uh, um, yeah, he says, he says, then it hit me. He says, imagine that, like this country would put up with, uh, with basically like with Isaiah Bradley. Basically, he was trying to keep that secret in a sense. He says, it hit me like a stroke. The government would put up with it. 
The government was not America. It didn't care. It was run by foreigners for foreigners, and I started to follow up on what the war was really about. And was about it was about keeping things right and pure, and we were on the wrong side. Um, and he just starts going off about how basically uh, the Germans were right. And and again, you know, there's evidence here that they share in this comic, and that I found in research was before World War II, a lot of the stuff that was going on in uh, Germany was stuff that was already kind of going on in America too. The whole idea of eugenics. Uh, was a very common thing that people talked about comfortably in public before uh, that that all happened. I think that was like in the early, may have been around that time in the 30s and the 20s. Just psychotic to think about people openly openly talking about that sort of stuff. But then all of a sudden, Captain America finally finds out about Isaiah Bradley, and he's like, "I need to find this guy." And Again, we flash back to Isaiah. Obviously, Hitler's like, all right, clearly he's not going to listen. We're going to basically kill him. And so he gets sent to a um, a death camp in a sense. And that's kind of where it leads into this last issue, which is, again, I wanted, I just wanted to highlight this piece in this last issue too. So it says, um, Steve Rogers is investigating the possession of a World War II era Captain America costume by the white supremacist leader held in federal custody. So that's the guy we were just talking about, um, inmate Philip Merritt. Um, and he says, none, none other than form, former Army Lieutenant Philip Merritt. After a few moments, Rogers deducts Merritt's treasonous involvement in the assassination of Dr. Joseph Reinstein and the destruction of the Super Soldier Project. So he actually helped stop it because, again, you know, he, he's a racist. Um, so now it says, now a comic book retailer, Merritt, identifies the cap costume as a rare collectible. It's the one Isaiah Bradley swiped for his suicide mission in the Nazi death camp. And so... Um, we get to this part that says, no sooner than uh, Isaiah declined the offer to join the Nazis, uh, than Hitler and Goebbels decided to ship him off to the sinister jo- Joseph, Dr. Joseph Mengele in Auschwitz. However, as his transport to certain doom began early the next morning, members of the German resistance rescued him. And so from here, in the present day, you have Captain America talking to Colonel Price, who is magically still alive. And he is explaining to him kind of the story that um, is uh, great. This is actually where it is. And so I, again, I encourage all of you to read this, but I'm going to say it on here too so that you all can hear it. Um, <clears throat> passing along, obviously. But he says, this is Price. Again, this is him expo- exposing, expositioning his reasons for being a terrible person. Uh, a century ago, the world's ruling classes weren't very happy about how quickly the poor the unwashed ethnic working poor, immigrants, what have you, were breeding. So a lot of money started to funnel towards ideas of keeping their numbers down. And for many at the top, that also meant keeping their bloodlines, homo europaeus, which is European people, uh, pure. Did you know eugenics was the idea of Darwin's cousin, a crackpot named Francis Galton? He defined it as the science of improving the stock. So you had what passed for a quote-unquote science handedly addressing the issues of making anemic family trees stronger while trimming away branches of what they considered deadwood, the help. Politics doesn't often make for good science, Rogers, or at least the most sensible application of science. 
Politics is about keeping your boss happy. Before the First World War, eugenicists from around the world, primarily the Brits, the Germans, and us, routinely met to affect racial hygiene policy. I have not dove into this yet, but again, I know Morales did a ton of research for this, so I, I, I know for a fact that's real, especially because the other things I did research that we will be talking about were also real. Uh, the U.S. and British governments took the early lead in the sterilization of uh, undesirables. For instance, while Germans like Hitler looked on enviously because they lost the Great War and didn't have resources. Once he took power, Hitler sent the good doctors Reinstein and Co. to meet with privately funded eugenicists here in the States to introduce their revolutionary medical techniques. As a result of those meetings, Rogers, Project Super Soldier was born, essentially saying that Steve Rogers was born out of the idea of a project surrounded in eugenics. <clears throat> he says, hold on, Price. You're saying we and the Nazis? He says, not Nazis. Not yet. They were just the German government then, and we were all on the same page. We sterilized the mentally handicapped well before the Germans. They modeled their program after ours. Hitler loved the American Immigration Act of 1924. It was a blueprint for keeping entire ethnic groups and quote-unquote degenerates. In any event, the project started as a joint U.S.-German business venture. Co. was a successful pharmaceutical magnate, and our end found plenty of backers like Walter Armel Williams, the serial king. Reinstein was a brilliant biologist who didn't buy into most eugenics guff, but he knew how to play the game. And when war broke out again because the Fuhrer couldn't keep it in his pants, the project was split in two. Reinstein chose to stay here. Coe's interests, however, remained in the fatherland, and the race was on. So essentially, and he says, too, basically, that uh, each person was sent to do the, the super soldier serum for different people. So uh, then he starts talking about, and you sent in Bradley all alone to try and stop this guy. And um, just crazy. And he's talking about how basically they were willing to sacrifice him, and, um, and it, which is absolutely terrible. But he says... Um, Let's see if we can get to this spot. Yeah, you know, part of the reason the SS assassinated the doctor was they were under the mistaken impression that he was Jewish. He was a Lutheran, and after the war, Coe's interests wound up on the American side of the wall. I was quietly positioned to run them, and once the Cold War ended, I stepped up as CEO. And that's when Steve says, you're surprisingly in good shape for your age, which clearly means he's probably taken the Infinity Formula or a Super Soldier Serum himself. But he says... Um, oh yeah, and this is where he gets he gets really mad. So Captain America finally strikes. He says, "Yeah, I know all about that. I just got a fortune in back pay for all the years I was in suspended animation, more money than I knew what to do with." And he says, "Really? Should I be offering you stock options?" And he says, "Already got him price." Two days ago, I bought enough of Co International that I'll be at the stockholders meeting tomorrow in New York with your service record. He says, "But that's." He says, declassified. And after you get booted out the door, you'll be arrested for the murder of an army major, among others. And he says, how do you think you prove? He says, remember your old aide-de-camp, Philip Merritt, the racist in prison? He's a fan. Ooh, he gets him. And it, and so and that's the thing. So that's essentially you're learning what happened afterwards. And then from there, Cap meets with 
Isaiah's uh, wife, who I guess they've both they're both old but still alive. But Isaiah is um, kind of gone, I guess you could say, and that's where um, and and I, I I'm skipping ahead a lot, but he essentially he says um, they brought Isaiah back from enemy lines, and um, but then the moment that he reported to command, Isaiah was arrested and court-martialed. He got life in prison for stealing your costume. And he's dumbfounded. He has no idea what to say about this. And she says, it's not your fault. Um, he was in solitary confinement for 17 years and received less than rudimentary medical care, and she could only afford to see him three times a year. Uh, but they spent years trying to get the army to appeal his case, or at least treat him for the fallout of the serum, or even acknowledge that they existed. But they couldn't. Um, she said she wrote to the president every month for three years, and on the day of Kennedy's inauguration, Eisenhower pardoned Isaiah, and then the government swore us to secrecy. Um... It says, now here's the worst of it. The early stages of what made you, it left my husband sterile. And after so many years of confined neglect, his brain slowly deteriorated. You need to be prepared for that. He's a little boy now. He can't really even talk. And he says, my God, nobody helped you? And she says, the VA reinstated Isaiah's regular benefits, but wouldn't recognize damage done by a program that never existed. And you can't sue the government, you know. She says, we had one girl and she gave us a, uh, a parcel of grandchildren. In time, Isaiah regained his physical health and in that, God was merciful. But um, and then she leaves, and he he stands at the he like walks around the home, and he sees a bunch of photos on the wall of Isaiah standing with so many different famous people. There's a photo of him with Richard Pryor, Malcolm X, Nelson Mandela. Um, there's a photo of Stan Lee on the wall, and there's also a photo of what I'm imagining is Robert Morales and uh, is it was it Kevin Walker who. Um, uh, or Kyle Baker, I apologize. Kyle Baker and Robert Morales. Uh, kind of cool. Kind of cool little call out. But then he goes into Isaiah's room and um, he meets Isaiah, who I, he can't even get dressed by himself. But he sits there with him. He says, Hello, Isaiah. I'm Steve Rogers. And he shakes his hand, doesn't say, and he doesn't say anything. He says, I'm really happy to meet you. I can't say enough how sorry I am for what happened to you and your family. I wish I could undo all the suffering you've gone through. If I could have taken your place, but all I can do is my duty, Isaiah. To you and everyone else, that's why I'm here. This may be the smallest of consolations, but I believe this belongs to you. And he pulls out the ratty, tattered, uh, old Captain America costume and hands it to him, and he just gets the biggest smile on his face. And then his wife says, mind if I get a picture of you two for his collection? And he says, anything, ma'am, anytime. She says, say cheese. And then that's the end photo is him and Captain America. He's got the costume on. He's got his arm around Cap's shoulder and he's just smiling so big. And then there's a little callback to the photo that him and his wife took at the very beginning of this story. But it just, it's so heartbreaking to read this tale. And I'm glad I could share some of those things on there. I, I had practiced reading this and I, I, I was only got 10 minutes out of uh, what I typed up. So I was like, ooh, I need to maybe add a little bit to this. So I'm glad that I got to share that and that you guys are able to listen to that because it really is a sad story overall. This whole story is really sad. And um, when I chose this series to read, I was going off of a very vague memory I had 
of uh, reading the tale. I think I had like picked up an issue or something at a, at a comic shop or at Half Price Books. But as I went through the issues, I realized I had never read this story before. And so I was wondering what it was that I read that made me think that. And I think what it was was uh, young in the Young Avengers series, um, which is by, I believe, Alan Hickman or something like that, and uh, um, Jim Chung, but the young Captain America patriot in there, he's the great, great, he's the grandson of Isaiah Bradley, and so he's kind of a super soldier in, in and of himself. I don't know how the math works on that. I'd have to look into it because if he, he was sterile, and he definitely had his kid before he was turned into a super soldier, but... Um, but anyway, it, it was still a very interesting story, and I was hooked the entire time. So while he was not the only black soldier to be experimented on, he was the only one that survived. And the one thing I wanted to call out and talk about on here is uh, a few issues in, Sergeant Lucas Evans tells a story about something called the Red Summer. And as I was listening to him kind of talk about it, I got shocked, and I at that time I was like, "Ooh, you know, if I haven't read this, like, what am I going to talk about?" Because typically, I I will, I, I my plan was to talk about stories that I've read already, because then I, I you know I have a little bit more to go off of. I can craft some sort of themes and whatnot. It's a little tougher after only doing it once. But once I read this part of the issue, I was like, oh, I know exactly what I'm going to talk about, which is essentially more revisionist history. So as I'm sure all of you know, and if not, I like learning things almost as much as I hate not knowing things. And when that bleeds into my knowledge of my country's history, it is doubly worse. When I first learned about the Tulsa Massacre, I had to spend time doing my own research and reading as much as I could about that tragedy. And the feeling of disappointment that I had, not just in myself for not knowing, but in the school system for not teaching me, it was mentally crippling. Now, I'm actively trying to learn as much as I can about my country's past so that not only is it not forgotten, but that history doesn't repeat itself. So the Tulsa Massacre was the first big revelation that I had in that regard, and that was in college. And I've had more since then, uh, many more truths that have come to light one way or another, uh, truths that many people are afraid to deal with. But in order to grow and evolve, and in order to become better, we need to deal with that. We need to confront our fears and embarrassments, otherwise they will fester and grow into bigotry and shame. And we are living in a rare time where we can see that on full display in many sectors of our lives, including all areas of the government. Older individuals who struggle to admit the wrongs they committed in the past or the, that the country committed. And again, we see that almost daily. Uh, this is why this story, Truth, Red, White, and Black, is so important for so many reasons. The secret tale of the first Captain America, although that may be up for debate, again, I think maybe we've solved it by now that he was the first Captain America. Um, uh, either way, the idea that the U.S. government wanted to test the serum on black soldiers first makes total sense in the grand scheme of the military-industrial complex and is terrible. But it's within those tests that the sergeant talks about the Red Summer which is a time around 1919 when something much, uh, when basically uh, a bunch of black soldiers returned home from World War I, hoping to come back to a country changed. What they found was something much worse. Race riots took place all over the country, 
dozens of cities across the land, lynchings and killings of black people. And one of the biggest parts of this was the Elaine Massacre in Arkansas, also something I didn't know. So when I saw this in the comic, I immediately stopped what I was doing and I just Googled it. And so you guys can do that too. Uh, and I, I got it off Wikipedia, but then I dove into some other articles as well. The Elaine Massacre is on there too. Again, that happened in Arkansas. And it's another instance where something terrible was done to humans and covered up by a country that is too embarrassed by their actions and also more concerned with keeping the status quo. Some five white people died and estimates of hundreds, almost a thousand black people died in that massacre alone. Uh, they said in there that if they, they obviously don't know exact numbers because it was covered up, but if those numbers hold true based on what people have said, it would be one of the biggest killings in the United States, in United States history. Uh, one of the biggest reasons it took place to begin with though, for the Elaine one specifically, was because black farmers in the area were joining together to try and get better wages. Uh, in a sense, they were unionizing. And the white people there spun this, and the media picked up on it. And this is all there. I'm, I'm essentially just quote, not quoting, but I'm sharing what I learned. Um, they spun it as them organizing to kill white people. And so it, it just was devastating to read about yet another massacre, yet another race riot that has been hidden in our history for so long during a time that again most people don't even think about that time but for a lot of people especially people of color they have memories and their family has memories of things that aren't even on our minds and for me that is so sad and can't go on which is why i had to learn about it and i actually i saved some books to read on it as well because i truly don't think that sort of stuff should be forgotten and so i would highly encourage all of you listening to dive deeper into this story do some research of your own so that this type of tragedy isn't forgotten um, some other sad things in this story was the government lying to the families, saying their sons, fathers, husbands had died, uh, when in reality they had uh, been killed by the testing. Uh, but in some instances, the lie became truth when the serum was too much to handle and the victim died. But for Isaiah, his wife had just had a child, and she felt like she was being lied to because she noticed the charred body that she was shown as her husband's was in fact a white man. Worse than that, when as Isaiah finally returned home, he was arrested and put in prison for reasons that were very roundabout ways of covering up his existence. And eventually he was pardoned, but by that time his mind had gone and no help was provided to him because he was a part of something that technically didn't exist. What was nice to see in this tale was how Captain America responded to everything. And it's sad, again, that this he they do his best of a job as they can to not make him the white savior and it's hard not to because captain america in a sense is a white savior for a lot of people because he is um such a good person in that regard he does save a lot of people and happens to be white but he is very clear in the story of not wanting to be that type of person he is just trying to learn listen and apologize which uh, is great um and but but then from there um, and that's kind of what we were talking about earlier in terms of sharing, uh, sharing that sort of thing. So the last bit I wanted to talk about is kind of some of the reception that I learned about or saw uh, in regards to this book. So Morales, who wrote it, pitched the idea to Joe Quesada and the team back in 2003, and he said that he felt like it was a really depressing story, which again, he was not wrong, but it's a story that needs to be told. Uh, he didn't think it would get picked up, but it did. 
And this is a big deal for many reasons, but remembering that this story came out in 2003, really nice to see Marvel embracing a story like this, especially after so many criticisms, even recently criticisms of the lack of diversity, lack of storytelling. So this is a big deal in terms of, in a sense, rewriting history so i mean you get those people who complain about sam wilson being the new captain america why don't you just let them know that the first captain america was black anyway and point them to this story but um axel alonzo who was the editor-in-chief at marvel he was the editor of this book at the time i think this was when joe casada was an editor or was editor-in-chief but he stated that they received a lot of feedback on this story. And in an interview with Comic Book Resources, he recalled the following, and I'm quoting, When we posted our first image of Isaiah Bradley, the silhouette of an African-American man in a Captain America costume, the media latched onto it as a story of interest. But a lot of internet folks lined up against it, assuming, for whatever reason, that it would disparage the legacy of Steve Rogers, and I'm, I'll unquote, this is me, why would that ever even matter? I get it in terms of the crazy people who are obsessed with comic continuity, and I'm one of those people in terms of that, but for something like this, why you would ever think about that and, and do that is beyond me. Like To me, reading this story felt like even the lore of Steve Rogers was enhanced to learn that he has to deal with that every single day of realizing what his country did to him and also did to his fellow men. Uh, back to the quote. By the time the story was done, the dialogue around the series had substantially changed. One high-profile reviewer even wrote a column admitting he had unfairly prejudged the series. That he now saw it was about building bridges between people, not burning them. Which I deeply respected, he says. It's essentially meaningful when you edit a story that functions as a little more than pure entertainment. Now, Axel, I would add on to that. It functions as a lot more than pure entertainment in this case. And again, shout out to Marvel because th th there is entertainment quality to this story, but overall it's not entertaining. It is, it is the opposite of that. It is something kind of shocking, very sad and disturbing, and also a very reflective piece and something that after you're done you should have reflected on at least something from the story. Cause I, and I, I would hope this isn't the case, but I would imagine for a lot of you reading this, there's going to be something in this story that you didn't know. Something like, oh, what? Like for me, there were multiple things in this story I had no idea were real in terms of uh, history, American history, things that had happened. And um, so it's, it's definitely worth a read. I highly, highly recommend this book. Overall, this is a very brisk read. Even at seven issues, uh, and that's because it was a page turner. I just kept, I was like, I have to see how this ends. But as brisk as it is, the content is very heavy. Lots of subtle commentary and overt instances of racism and discrimination in a time when many people forget it even existed. A tale about truth. Bringing truth to the light for judgment, whether that is regarding the first Captain America the Red Summer, the Elaine Massacre, police brutality, or systemic racism. It appears that there is always still some truth hidden that needs to be uncovered and reconciled with. Then, and only then, can true growth and healing take place after acknowledgement and atonement for those truths. So, for truth, 
red, white, and black, I give this a full recommendation. And for Comics and Cinema, I'm your host, Alex Klein. Thanks for listening.